Thank you for joining us for session two tonight of the gifts through the eyes of Paul. And just to recap a couple of things from our last session, we talked about some of the unique challenges with the Corinthian church. And we also established some of the reasons why we're not really much different than they are. We were also describing spiritual gifts as something that the Holy Spirit sovereignly chooses to give or release into a moment. It's like a microburst of Holy Spirit power into a window of opportunity that the Lord would design. And so when we left off with our last session, we were starting to drill down a little bit theologically into this idea of tongues and its context within 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Definitions are always good, and if you'll refer to your notes, here is a working definition of what we mean by tongues or spiritual language. So tongues is defined by Paul as a spirit-enabled form of communication in a language unknown to the speaker. All right, we could stop right there, but there's more. In a language primarily unknown to the speaker, it may represent one speaking mysteries to God. It may also represent an unknown language of the Spirit that a believer uses in prayer. It also may describe a means by which we offer blessing and thanksgiving unto the Lord. And finally, it may describe speaking in a foreign dialect as a sign. We'll come back to that one. A sign or a gift combined with supernatural interpretation for when the church is gathered together. Now remember in our first session, I mentioned to you that an, an interpretive key for 1 Corinthians 14 is understanding that when Paul was talking about the Spirit's gifts, he was talking about these gifts in the context of when the church is gathered together. So chapter 14 does not represent the sum total of everything that Paul or the New Testament had to say about the gifts of the Spirit. But if you understand that, it'll, it'll keep you from driving the bicycle into the ditch of bad theology, okay? He was talking about its use when the church of God is gathered together. Now, uh, let's, let's get technical a little bit with some theological language. I'll, I'll try to mispronounce all these words really good. But, but when you see tongues in the Bible, it doesn't always refer to something that happens or means exactly the same thing. You say, well, it should. And I would ask, is the same true from when it pertains to prophecy? Didn't that look a little bit different in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament in different contexts? And so here are a couple of these $3 Theological terms that will help you understand some of the distinctions of tongue speech. Supernaturally enabled speech by the Spirit of God unknown to the speaker. Okay, that's our baseline definition. Xenoglossia. That's simply speaking in a language that one has never learned or known. So that's more of a general term. Some of you know that term as glossolalia or xenoglossia. Okay. <clears throat> glossolalia is, is next. Not only may this be a known language, it may be an unknown heavenly or earthly language. Um, I've heard people at times 
unintentionally almost poke fun at somebody speaking in tongues because it, it doesn't sound like a real language. Has anybody besides me ever heard something like that? And you don't mean to do it, but you're trying to dial that inner critic off by saying, man, that's, how would that be of God if it's the same syllable over and over? Well, we'll come back to that. I'll give you a little suspense, okay? So glossolalia can be just an ecstatic utterance or speech. It may or may not be heavenly language or an earthly language. <clears throat> I once heard uh, this linguistic expert uh, giving a speech or a talk on debunking the myth of spirit-filled believers who speak in tongues. And this individual is saying, I have studied at length. I've listened to thousands upon thousands of recordings of people supposedly speaking in tongues. And I'm here to tell you, the bottom line is he was saying, it's just gibberish, it's foolishness, it's not real. And I thought to myself, I may not be a real smart man. Like the movie, somebody got their reference. Yeah. But there are over 6,000 languages, known languages and dialects on planet Earth alone. We're not even talking about heavenly languages. There are a lot of languages on the earth that we don't know yet. There are still people groups that we don't know what they speak, but they communicate with one another. All right? So go become an expert in 6,000 plus languages, master them, and then come back and, and tell us that tongues are not real. All right? Xenolalia is our third one. This is an interesting one. Speaking in an unknown human language, Unknown again to the speaker, but known to the hearers. I'm having to resist telling you all kind of cool stories because of our time limit, all right? But a friend of mine here in town or in, in the greater Columbia area, he pastors Mission of Hope Church, and they have a lot of Hispanic people that come to the church, a lot of Hispanic immigrants. I'm going to try to really condense this story. And so... There was a young girl that was there at church this particular day. This was probably about six months ago. She could not get her way around probably with three words in English yet. She, she did not know the English language. And my friend told me that when he was praying during worship, the Lord said, if you'll trust me today, I'll show you the glory of God. And during their worship time, he felt led of the Holy Spirit to go over and lay hands on this girl so that she would be filled with the Spirit. And we can dial him on the phone right now. I promise you this is real. I'm trying to give you some examples of people that I trust or even that I was a part of. This girl who did not know English could, was, was having to converse through her brother about certain things in Spanish to English. When he laid hands on her head, she burst forth in worship in perfect English. And everybody around her heard this. And they were amazed and astounded. And, and after this kind of died down a little bit, and the Spirit of God lifted in that moment from off of her, she went right back to Spanish and not even understanding a word of English. What an awesome God we serve. That was an example of xenolalia that takes place. There are reports of, of the great Azusa Street Revival where missionaries on furlough, 
and, and people that were immigrants, Russian immigrants, Chinese immigrants, Turkish people and beyond. They would be in that revival and it was a regular occurrence that they would hear people who had no idea they were doing it. They were speaking the praises of God and the, and the native tongues of the people that God had brought into that meeting. I'll, I'll share another one with you later on. Got to watch our time, so I'll, I'll try to move along. So Xenolalia is speaking in an unknown language to the speaker, but it, it's known to the hearers. Interestingly, during the great Azusa Street Revival, one more, and I'll move on, okay? Charles F. Parham, who was one of the leaders of that particular movement, he, genu he genuinely thought that Xenolalia was going to be the key to taking the missionary gospel to the four corners of the world. He really thought that when missionaries were sent forth from that revival, they were just going to have the ability to converse with people fluently right off of the boat, wherever they went. And um, unfortunately, it did not happen that way, but it, it was a regular occurrence, at least in that revival. Can I just say something while we are dialing in on tongues for, for just a moment? And I don't, I don't want to sound rude. I say this tongue-in-cheek, all right? Can we just leave people alone when it comes to speaking in tongues? Who made me? Who made you the judge of whether what somebody else is experiencing is legitimate or not? And, and why are we so impatient and we try to funnel every experience back through the lens of Acts chapter 2? There's evidence in 1 Corinthians 14 that it wasn't happening just that way at the church of Corinth. Do you hear me? I can talk to my little toddler granddaughter who is the cutest thing both of my granddaughters are that ever walked on this earth. And when I talk to her, She'll speak in complete sentences, and I may be lucky if I pick out one or two words that I recognize, okay? But you know the interesting thing about that? Her mom, who lives with her every day, can translate the whole sentence for me. And I know two things, that when that little toddler speaks, she knows exactly what she's saying, and her mother knows what she's saying on her father. Why are we so hard on people when it comes to speaking in tongues? Well, you're babbling the same syllable. You're not speaking in tongues or that's of the devil. Have they really yielded to the devil when they've asked the Father to fill them? Jesus said, well, I give you a snake if you ask for a fish or a stone if you ask for a loaf of bread. It's your Father's pleasure to give these good gifts to his children, all right? So, so we just kind of need to, to reel ourselves in a little bit and realize that when people speak in tongues, maybe when it's speaking in tongues for the first time or early in their spirit-filled experience, it may not sound to your ears like a full-blown language. That was not my personal experience. The first time I was filled, it was like one word that just kept coming out. But I knew that I was being filled with the Spirit and that He was resting upon me. And by the very next day, there was a full language that came in behind that. All right? Did that make that first day not legitimate? I'd say no. So that was just chasing a rabbit there. I'm known for that. We got that one, okay? Take it easy on people when it comes to this, all right?
We don't have to make ourselves the arbiters of everybody else's experience with Jesus. Okay? So when we look on down in this chapter, um, Paul was clearly making the, the case that prophecy, it, it says in a lot of our translations, he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in an unknown tongue. Greater in that sense doesn't mean that you are in an upper echelon of spirituality because you have ascended to this enlightened state than these lowly people who speak in tongues. The translation simply would be in our vernacular, it, it's more useful, it's more edifying because the person who prophesies when the church is gathered together, say when the church is gathered together, that's our context. So the person who prophesies is speaking something that everybody understands and benefits from. And they're, they're comforted by that. They're encouraged. They're strengthened in the Lord. Also in this chapter, we see that tongues with the interpretation is, is equivalent to prophecy. Okay, so when a tongue is given in an assembly of believers, an interpretation is intended to follow that. All right? And that's also a supernatural work of the Spirit. It's not somebody that happened to learn whatever language that was, okay? It's listed as one of the gifts, all right? A disbursement of power, a release of the Holy Spirit to interpret a tongue that's given, okay? All right. So prophecy is not inherently superior. Um, also, these verses, the, the, the fact that Paul was so intent on the gathered church not just being a madhouse of spiritual expression with tongues or any other gift, it teaches us that when the Spirit of God inspired him, God the Holy Spirit never intended to bypass human cognition or sound reasoning within the church. You've heard this in other talks before, but we never check our brains at the door, do we? All right? Even when it comes to spiritual gifts, we're to judge we're to discern. We're to evaluate. Other people that have prophetic gifts are part of that process. All right, we need to move on. The clock says so. Okay, so God never bypasses sound reasoning or human cognition. Revelation and clear teaching were always central to his plan. Moving on down in this passage, verse 12, So with yourself, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. You see what he's driving at here with, with our context? We gather some, some really interesting things from this part, though. We're, we're able to kind of dig down and understand some things that, that Paul was teaching through his lens, if you will about spiritual gifts. So here we see through the lens of Paul. He uses himself, he says, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. He says, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind or my understanding, as some translations say also. I will sing praise with my spirit and I will sing with my mind. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, presumably in tongues here, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider agree or say amen to your thanksgiving? 
when he does not know what you're saying. For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not built up. And he says here, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Isn't that interesting? There is no reference beside this verse in the New Testament anywhere of the Apostle Paul speaking in tongues. But we're seeing something here. He said, look, you think you got it good on the gift of tongues? He said, I promise you. I'm not bragging, but I, but I speak in tongues more than all of you. So let's just uh, let's look at several of these things. Let's see what insights we can glean here from Paul. Are you all still with me okay? All right. So again, speaking and praying in tongues is typically unknown to the speaker. We see in this passage he said he's speaking, he's giving praise, speaking mysteries to God. The person speaking doesn't necessarily know what they're saying. All right? Why do I mention that? We, we need to take off the theological neck weight on people as saying, unless it's interpreted, it doesn't look like it did in the first century. It's false tongues. No, it's not. All right? It's unknown. It, the same was true in the first century. However, this does not diminish its importance and its value. And we need to remember this. I'm stating something very obvious. Can we just remember that this was God's idea? And just like the seven days of creation, what did God say every time that he made something? This is good. Do you think God was mistaken or miscalculated what he wanted to do when he decided to invent and give the church the gifts that she has? No way. He's too wise for that. All right? So it does not diminish its importance and value. Paul, in this passage that we just read, he distinguishes between the practice of praying with tongues and praying in one's own language. If you are from a non-Pentecostal background, that is what charismatic or Pentecostal people mean when they say praying in the Spirit, all right? Somebody might say, does that mean that every time a person is praying in the Spirit that they have to do that in tongues? No, but I, but I think there's a clear indicator from this passage that it defines it that way. We still have Romans 8, but we don't have time tonight, okay? So Paul distinguishes between the practice of praying with tongues and praying in one's own language. There's some interesting things hidden in the language here. Praying in tongues, he, as he describes, is praying with the Spirit, or in the original language, the pneuma, the breath, the energy, the unction of the Holy Spirit. And it's an, undeni it's an undeniable correlation in this passage that praying in the Spirit, at least in this instance, means praying with the language of the Spirit in tongues. Okay? Paul says... I'm going to do this. I'm going to pray with the Spirit. And he says, I'm going to also pray with the understanding. That comes from the Greek word nous. Our English word knowledge is borrowed from that. Okay? So we pray with the language of the Spirit that we may not understand, even though we may pray for the interpretation. And we pray with the intellect. He didn't end there. He said it's a means of giving adoration and thanksgiving to the Lord in praise and in song. I'm telling you, there's something about 
tongues prayer that, that's, that's powerful. And many of you have experienced this. Pastor Justin will remember this, but all oh, it's probably five or six years ago, uh, a, a young lady affiliated with our church had dabbled in some demonic things that she should not have and came to the church for prayer. And uh, we were doing our level best, and we were praying in tongues, and we, we were praying and taking authority. And for whatever reason that night, it just seemed like all we could do was get the spirit that had her bound aggravated. She was just aggravated and making faces and growling and stiff. And so about that time, one of our intercessory prayer warriors, uh, bless God for pastors, one of our intercessory prayer warriors makes it to the church office. And all of a sudden she locks eyes on that girl or maybe whatever was inhabiting her or controlling her in that moment. And man, from deep within her being, this guttural language and tongues came forth and she was pointing her finger in the face and that girl flopped off of the couch onto the floor. You can ask Justin, I'm not making this up. She screamed out and, and was totally set free from that demonic entity. But it was just such a precious reminder to me that, that there's power in our heavenly languages. Don't you ever believe anything else I dip over into preaching and not teaching, so forgive me. Don't you ever believe anything else and make that a part of your daily practice, all right? Praying in your spiritual language, praying with the Spirit in tongues or in the language of the Spirit and with the intellect. Paul also defines that in this particular passage. He defines that as a means of offering worship through songs and in tongues, singing in one's own language and also singing in the language of the Spirit. Such a precious gift to the church. Maybe that's what Paul meant elsewhere in his letter to the Ephesians when he talks about psalms and hymns. And what's the next one? Spiritual, spiritual songs. Yeah. He says, singing and making melody in your heart unto the Lord. So Paul gives a window into his own spiritual practice. And I want to move through some of these things quickly with you. What we find in this passage, even though the context was when the church was gathered together, we find in this passage, and feel free to disagree with me on some of these points, this isn't holy scripture, this is holy man of God. Kidding. This seems to indicate that Paul could initiate this practice. He said, look, Corinthian church, I speak in tongues more than you all. I, I don't think that Paul was talking about necessarily being in situations where the Spirit would just cause this to happen through him. I think he was speaking of a devotional practice and the surrounding context bears this out when he talks about praying with my known language and praying in tongues, singing, worshiping in my known language, singing in tongues. I believe it describes a deliberate, intentional practice on the part of the Apostle Paul. People are divided on this point. I've had, I've had people want to fight with me over the fact, you can't just start speaking in tongues at any time and call that the Holy Ghost. Well, I respect that conviction if people have that. And I have people I love very much that hold that conviction. But I personally believe that this chapter bears out 
that we have the privilege of priming the pump. The Holy Spirit doesn't leave us. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. The Spirit of the living God lives inside of us. And so Paul, at least in this particular part of the passage, gives a window into devotional practice, even though the context of the chapter is when the church is gathered together. He describes a deliberate, intentional practice. Obviously, he was inspired by the Spirit to write these words. But if Paul was, was just seeking to shut down tongues altogether, he would, have, uh, he would have omitted his own reflections about that personally in his life. Do you follow me on that? He made no apology for it. I speak in tongues more than any of you with a grin on his face. He says, therefore, tongues are for a sign. Verse 20. Not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for believers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those that are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Will they not say that you're crazy? Experience this at 10 years of age. And I already uh, had spoken in tongues, by the way, but I, I went to Camp Dixie. Glory to God. Good old North Carolina Southern Camp by that name. I looked and they have not changed the name of the camp, by the way. I thought they probably would have but I was at Camp Dixie, and all of a sudden this evangelist instructs these teenage kids, and they were holiness Pentecostal people, hair up in buns, no makeup, you know, nothing but their knuckles showing, praise God. And they started speaking in tongues, and it sounded like an angry beehive. And I was like, let me find the first window that's open so I can dive out of this second story place and, and hit the ground. And uh, it, it, as, a, as a young child, it scared me to death, but... I think that that kind of illustrates Paul's point. If, if you come together and everybody's just speaking in tongues and nobody understands, they're going to think you all are, are crazy. Absolutely, yes. He said, by contrast, if they come in and their mail is read through a prophetic word or a tongue and interpretation, he said, people are going to be convinced that God is truly among you. All right? So he says, tongues are a sign to believers. I love how the Lord delights in taking the things that we think are foolish and confounds the wise. He will offend the mind, as I put in your notes, and reveal the heart. Let me tell you a story, and I'm about out of time tonight, all right? Tongues are a sign to unbelievers. Who but God could take something as humanly foolish as a human being babbling in a language that they did not know or understand and make that a sign to an unbeliever. All true stories tonight, okay? Probably 10 years ago, I was about 25 feet away leading worship in a worship service. And all of a sudden, toward the back, the right side of where the cameras are, there was this huge gentleman I, I didn't know this man. I don't think the pastoral staff knew him, but, but he had on like an Af he was a black gentleman, had on like an African-looking shirt that was untucked, just beautiful shirt, kind of multicolored. And I, I don't know, but he stood up, and it didn't even seem like a good time. I mean, we weren't really like at a great place to give a word in tongues. We were like still strumming away on the song, if you get my drift. 
And so this guy just loud, he just goes into this message in tongues. I mean, he's about this big around at the shoulder, so plenty of power and volume. And he gives this message, and, I, and I'm just kind of standing there with that internal critic. Well, nice try, buddy, but that's probably at the wrong time, or I think you probably missed God. You know, Lord, if there's an interpretation, let that come forth. No interpretation was given, and so like good worship leaders do, we just transition seamlessly back into the worship set to keep everybody calm, all right? Well, I, I kind of dismissed this from my mind until we received a report from a couple in the church who had invited a gentleman to church with them that was a Muslim from Turkey. He was a business associate. And so that day, they're eating lunch. And he's taking a bite out of his burrito. I don't know what he was eating. He said, this man spoke in an ancient Turkish dialect, but I understood every word he said. Wow. And he said, what he said was something to the extent, I am the way. Seek me and you shall find me. For I am the way and the life. I don't remember if they added the truth and the life, as Jesus said. But you talk about being set up by God for a witnessing opportunity? Yeah. Only God can take something like tongues and make it a sign to an unbeliever. And, and he certainly did it that day. So that rounds out our time tonight. Let me just commit us to the Lord, and I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Justin in just a moment. Father, as I prayed to you a lot about this, and again today, we don't want to just talk about the things of your spirit and put them under a microscope and not say, come Holy Spirit, have your way in me. Lord, help us not just to say it, but turn something in our hearts so that we earnestly desire you and everything that you bring. And we just commit this time to you tonight in Jesus' precious name.